The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, Those newspapers of the nation, which most loudly cried dictatorship against me, would have been the first to justify the beginnings of dictatorship by somebody else. Boy, times change, but journalists never do, it seems. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hi. And we're so grateful that you're here. If you are new here, don't let the religionless name fool you. We are quite religious, very religious folks here, very Christian, but the world is not. This country is not very secular, very religionless, if you will. That's where the name comes from. So today uh, we're going to be kind of doing what we always do. We're going to be um, focusing on the news, but today we're really just going to be focusing on one story from the news, and that's going to be kind of all-encompassing the Twitter files. Uh, we'll be kind of reviewing what's been released so far. We'll be doing that, um, and really from the purposes of what it means for a Christian, because that's the only reason we really care about, right? What does it mean for a Christian? Then we'll be getting into our podcast review of sorts more of a discussion starter from generation indoctrination which is a podcast released by the christian post we've been going through that we're on episode four today i think there's only one more real episode after this and then with the time that we have left we're going to discuss our assurances of salvation point number six so we're on today if you want to go and find the previous five they're all on the channel. If you want to find our road to salvation, that's on the channel as well. Those five points. So uh, that's what we got on tap for today. But before we get to all of it, honey, is there anything you'd like to say? Well, if you're watching this right now, we are not here in this room. We are on the road <laughs> uh, driving to Michigan. So, yeah, we're recording a couple days early. So yeah, just pray our trip is safe. I know we've asked that before, but can't have too many prayers <laughs> when we get to where all those semi-trucks are and hopefully no icy roads, no icy highways. So yes, appreciate the prayers. Yeah, pray for us. We're going to make it sort of a long trip up there. We're going to stop by and see the Ark Encounter, oh, which yeah. should be pretty enjoyable. We've never seen that stopping in Kentucky on the way up. So just pray for safe travels there. Pray that it's a good time in Michigan. We haven't been home in about four years, and I haven't seen a lot of my family in about a decade. Um, not because of any, you know, hostility or anything. It's just we're in the military. We travel a lot, and we got a big family, so it's always difficult to get this stuff done. So it's been a long mm -hmm. time. And whenever he's deployed, I'm like, I'm taking a trip to see family. Yeah. <laughs> so I see them more than he does, but still been four years for me. Yep. So we're going to try to see some of the 
long lost family members and stuff as well. So I expect it to go well, just pray that it does. And then also a sort of prayer request. Um, oddly enough, I was trying to sell a computer online and somebody reached out to me and was like, hey, I don't have any money, so I can't buy your computer. But how about a Bible verse? I was like, that seems odd. And I thought he was going to go down the route of like, you know, uh, you know, kind of the uh, rich young ruler, you know, give all your possessions away kind of a thing. I thought he was going to maybe <laughs> see if I would give him my computer for free. And I was kind of in my mind playing, you know, love not the things of this world. I was going to, in my mind, I had this little friendly biblical banter going back and forth. Well, he responded with some verse that I don't know what it was. So I asked him, what verse is that? And he's like, oh, it's from the Book of Mormon. Have you read the Book of Mormon or have you heard of it? So I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. What an opportunity. <laughs> this Mormon just reached out to me on Facebook. So I, you know, kind of, you know, shared with him, you know, I, I've never, you know, I've heard of it, never read it. I'm a Christian. Then I kind of went into and I don't know if it was too heavy handed, but uh, Galatians chapter one, verse eight, and nine, you know, if anyone comes preaching another gospel, even if it's an angel, let him be accursed and um, kind of went that route. And then just kind of told him like, hey, go read the New Testament, search it for yourself with no prejudice and, you know, kind of see what Jesus you're presented with. And, you know, faith um, is what earns our salvation. So I kind of left him a message or two. And he hasn't responded to me, so. Yeah, you made the point that Jesus is God. Yeah, I kind of went at length of saying he's co-equal with Christ or with God. He was not created. You know, I kind of made that point. And so my prayer request is pray that I have an opportunity to talk with this kid. He looks like a young fella. But also, if you have um, tips, advice, scripture that you have found successful in reaching Mormons, please send Mm -hmm. it to us on YouTube, on Facebook, on our Discord, anywhere. And I would be very grateful for anything like that. I've not discussed with too many Mormons in my life um, issues of faith, but I would like to try to keep this opportunity going and see if we can't steal one from the dark side. It's our hope. So that's our prayer requests. Um, let's get our plugs out of the way before we dive into the news. You guys know how much we uh, advocate for cardinal contingency solutions. And I saw this story the other week, so I held it ready for um, this specific plug. Missionary pilot imprisoned in Mozambique. And if you read down here, it says American missionary pilot has been detained for nearly a month in Mozambique on suspicion of supporting insurgents. In, southern, in the Southern African nation. Ryan Coer, 31, serving with Mission Aviation Fellowship through its Mozambican partner, had been due to fly vitamins and other supplies to church-run orphanages in Montepuez District in the troubled Cabo Delgado province, but he was detained November 4th along with two South African volunteers it says down here, Coer has now been moved to a maximum security prison in Mozambique. And, you know, these stories, they happen more frequently than we would hope. And this is why we pitch Cardinal. You know, the worst time to try to come up with a plan is when you're getting shoved in the back of a van as a prisoner in Mozambique. Uh, you want to have that plan 
before you even leave the States, when you have time to really flush out the details. And the beautiful thing with Cardinal is they're kind of a full stop. You know, their ideal of this is not only to discuss with you what you're doing, come up with a plan before you leave, but also to follow up with you while you're there, kind of debrief you when you get back. So they have up to date information for the next people to step out the door, you know, because so often what happens is these things like this mission aviation pilot, this is not probably the first run in that's occurred with the Mozambique, um, whoever these guys were, that arrested them this insurgent group, typically this stuff sort of builds or they may see sort of signs of this stuff or hey, you know, once someone get rolled up on and gets kidnapped, they find out later that oh, well, this missionary group had a, a weird run in with these guys earlier. Mm. And it was a little tense, but he got away or hey, we saw some checkpoints over here. And we didn't say anything. But if you can get this information and start building a profile, well, now you guys are really prepared when you step in, you know, the areas to avoid how to get around these things. Hey, maybe these guys, they're just looking for a little bit of, you know, whatever they want some vitamins too. you know, how can you make this grease the skids, if you will. So this is what Cardinal does. I just implore you if you're sending missionaries out, it's worth an email, it's worth a phone call to Cardinal. Again, they're the best in the world at what they do. And I would hate to see or read a story about your mission uh, or your missionary that gets put in a tough spot because they were unprepared when they stepped out the door. Uh, you guys also know we're proud members of Christian podcast community. Got a great uh, collection of about 65 podcasts, 60 to 65 podcasters over there talking everything from Romans Road, you know, uh, abundant life we got street theologians we've got you know everything bitcoin you know talking about cryptocurrency everything um and of course yours truly are there happy to be there so go check out um i guess i should actually put it on the screen if you're watching youtube great podcasters over there always something new always something intriguing to listen to sound biblically so go check them out. Great thing is you can subscribe to one feed and you get basically all 60 of us every day. So and they're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, whatever happens to be they're there. So you can go and find them. All right. Do you have anything else, honey? Nope. All righty, then you guys know what time it is. We don't take a break for the holiday seasons here. So gird your loins, empty your bladder throw up your food <laughs> clear your stomach out put on the full armor of god and prepare yourself as we get ready to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week don't make yourself puke that was a terrible thing for me to say keep the food down you'll need it so uh for the news this week as we mentioned um we just want to discuss the twitter files this has been out for a little while now, and if you're really in tune with the news, maybe you're up to date with it. Um, but we wanted to sort of wait on this until enough of it had come out to make it worthwhile. You don't want to be just, you know, trying to dissect every single tweet that comes out. So up to this point, when we're recording, five have been released. They've had five, you know, sort of dumps of news here that they've released. 
and there seems like there's going to be more the way it just sort of ends there, there should be more coming oh i'm sure there is but yeah, yeah like i said i'm hoping they're getting ready to release the covid um twitter files the uh right. the gender Gosh. indoctrination twitter files Ugh. i hope it all comes out but we just wanted to sort of recap these in case you've missed it or if you're more intelligent and you just ignored it <laughs> because how well, you much already you- know we right. already know what's going on. It's just that it's out in the open. And it's that's like, largely why we haven't been, I mean, you know, Twitter censoring, right? But we do want to discuss sort of the intricacies a little bit. So bear with us. This is going to be a lot of reading. We're going to try to just get through it and then kind of discuss what we want to discuss after the fact. So bear with us. We're going to kind of try to hit some of the bigger points from all five releases. So we'll do our best to not just speed read or just make this completely miserable to listen to so bear with us please um so first up honey if you want to read this first portion here this is the twitter files part one and this was released by matt tabby or to i'll say tabby just read the the stuff that we have there i've kind of pulled out some notes so all the stuff there in part one yeah oh okay i'm just making sure okay part one sort of outlines just generally the way the government was coordinating with twitter employees to remove tweets or suspend accounts this was requested by both political parties though more frequently by the biden team It then goes into detail how it blocked news about Hunter Biden's laptop specifically, saying they took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked his transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases like child pornography. It notes that only one politician, a Democrat congresswoman, seemed concerned about uh, the right to free speech. Only one. Yep. And and so excuse Nikki if she she's reading basically my notes there and I didn't tell her to read them (laughs) until just right now. So uh, that's my mistake. But um, yeah, this one was kind of really focused on the Hunter Biden laptop story, which of course, we knew it was censored. You know, the stories were blocked. We remember, if you follow the news at all, the New York Post story was basically completely blocked and censored. And this is what they were talking about here in Twitter files, number one, largely just the Hunter Biden laptop. And then just kind of how Twitter and the government were sort of getting intertwined. You know, the government was reaching out hey, suspend or take a look at these tweets. And then Twitter, you know, take a look at them. And even some of the exact tweets they show in there is like, look at these tweets. And Twitter would respond, they're handled. Mm -hmm. You know, basically, we did what you asked kind of a thing. So moving on to Twitter file part number two, and this one was released by, I guess you would say, Bari Weiss, is it her name? Bari Weiss. And part two, Again, Bari Weiss, I'll just kind of sum it up, or I think she actually sums it up here early. Yeah, I thought what I was reading was what was 
I don't know. I thought you posted there the comments on there. Okay. No, yeah. So some of this is like my thoughts and some of it's directly quoted from the the Twitter files here. But Barry Weiss says teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, um, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing users. So that's kind of the bulk of what she is exposing here in part two. And this is what people on every social media platform are dealing with. Like we know this isn't exclusive Twitter. Like no, this people is... are banned from every platform without being ex- being told why. Right. This is not exclusive to Twitter. The only difference is, is there's no Elon Musk going to buy Google or going to buy Facebook. So we don't get to see what their um, nefarious deeds are. Um, but she says here, she says, what's alarming about this release? Um, or I think maybe these are my my notes here. Um, what's alarming about this release is the way in which these social media companies control who and what gets seen. So they go on here and they show this Stanford doctor that spoke out against the COVID lockdowns. And it says his account was blacklisted from trending. So they would prevent it from trending. This is kind of a subtle silencing. Mm. And then down here, Charlie Kirk, who's very well known, the founder Mm. of Turning Point USA, he was listed as do not amplify. So basically, again, a bit of a subtle silencing. Then Dan Bongino up here, uh, he's a conservative commentator he was search blacklisted. <laughs> like, that's just outright silenced. That's a complete shadow banning. And she so goes search. That so means if, like, if what you try to mean? search for Dan Bongino, it wouldn't it even would, show up. Okay, that's what I was thinking. You could just... find him if you wanted to. Wow. Um, she says in here, or she posts something from one of the Twitter employees. They say we control visibility quite a bit. And we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do. <laughs> One Twitter engineer told normal us. Normal people. Two additional Twitter employees confirmed. So they had quite a bit of say. And if you read through these, and all of this will be posted in the show notes. If you actually want to go through and read and see the tweets for yourself, um, it'll all be there linked in the show notes, just like everything we talk about. All they're like saying is like, we control how people think. <laughs> right. And you can see in here, they take great pride in the fact that they control what's allowed to be spoken and what isn't. Um, it's also worth noting, you know, uh, that this sort of practice was known by everyone, even up to Jack Dorsey, who was the founder and CEO at the time. He was not unaware of what was going on at Twitter. He was very much aware. And um, this part two here of the Twitter files It also highlighted that even when accounts didn't violate policies, they would still ban them anyways. So even when they couldn't find a slam dunk case of something violating, they'd go, "Eh, oh, well, ban it anyways. Right. So they didn't even adhere to their own rules. Yeah, Um, it's kind of what she exposed here. So that was kind of the big gist of part two, just kind of showing to what extent they would blacklist people, how it worked and really to the fact that they didn't even hear to their own rules. And also, I think it's worth noting because Jack Dorsey has come out since Elon Musk bought it and he's kind of tried to play 
like a victim himself a little bit. You know, he came out initially and talked about how the board was kind of such a, a monster to deal with. And then he's like, oh, you know, you should come out and release all of it. You know, Elon, almost like he's trying to play the hero a little bit. Nah, I wouldn't buy it. He was fully aware. I mean, it does show in these files that he at least had some questioning, some pushback. But at the end of the day, he allowed it all. So he's no victim here. Right. Um, so on to Twitter file part number three. And this one was again released by Matt Tabby. Um, I can read these if you want me to, just because I know how they're written. It might be easier. Yes. Yeah. You looked over it way more than I did. You can yeah. speak more on it, I think. Okay. So for part three here of the Twitter files, it, um, as you can kind of see up there, the removal of Donald Trump is what it talks about. And Matt Tabby, he details, you know, and really what the release is saying, he says, uh, right down, it's in one of these top, yeah, right here. We'll show you what hasn't been revealed, the erosion of standards within the company in months before January 6th, decision by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies, and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. So we touched on this kind of in part two, kind of what Barry Weiss was exposing that they weren't even adhering to their own policies. Like she said, they would ban people even if they didn't violate their policies. And as we go through this, even into especially part five, this is clearly evident with how they banned Donald Trump, uh, even against their own policies, they just decided he had to go. Um, so it points out in here that the employees at Twitter, they weren't, you know, he said in here that they were had documented interactions with federal agencies. And these were not sort of begrudgingly, you know, organized meetings with the government. But they seemed rather to be enjoying these meetings. And they were having meetings discussing Donald Trump with the FBI, which should be alarming to us that they're discussing a sitting president with his highest law enforcement yeah. agency at his, you know, that should be alarming. Mm -hmm. And one of the communications showed that this Yoel Roth gentleman, who was kind of the center central figure in all of this sort of banning that seems to be going on. Yoel Roth's name is kind of front and center in a lot of this. Um, but it talks about this Yoel Roth fella having weekly meetings with the FBI, the Department of Homeland, uh, Homeland Security, and the I think it's the uh, National Intelligence Agency. So he would have weekly meetings <laughs> for months with these guys about tweets and Donald Trump specifically. And it also brought up that Twitter was using <laughs> PolitiFact. Um, PolitiFact is one of the resources they went to to make decisions on blocking or banning accounts or tweets. So PolitiFact, if you're mm. unaware, it's a fact check website in a sense. And biased. they are considered now and maybe we're biased or, but they're considered to be pretty liberally biased, which would make sense yeah. because Twitter was very liberally biased. One of the things that they mentioned in here and I don't know if I had the note down. I'll try to go back and find it real quick. 
And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see it. If not, you can go in there and check the notes. And I may even put it in my notes later on, but roughly 96 to 99% of Twitter's employee political donations went to Democrat politicians. So it was almost a 100% liberal organization as far as who they supported. So if they're going to use PolitiFact, you know, it's not too far fetched to assume they're using that because it lines up with their viewpoints. So it makes sense. Um, it makes sense. Doesn't surprise. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of part three of the Twitter files. They're sort of building this case against Donald Trump and they're doing it largely uh, working hand in hand with the FBI, Department of Homeland Security and the National Intelligence Agency. And then that moves us on to the Twitter files part four. And this one was released by a fella named Michael Schellenberger. And as you can see right there, he talks about if you're watching on the YouTube channel, if not, it says the removal of Donald Trump January 7th. And uh, part four here of the Twitter files kind of shows how the Twitter execs censored tweets by President Trump in the run up to the 2020 election. Um, again, while meeting regularly with government agencies, or I'm sorry, that was part three. Part four mm -hmm. shows how specific policies were enacted to ban Trump and how they were even went and really just dismissed knowingly free speech. They were aware that we're dismissing free speech in this. Um, and it starts in here. Um, it's hard to, yeah, right here. It starts in here kind of by showing how pressure was put on Twitter by among others on the left. But uh, I guess most notably, one of the left's favorite former first lady, Michelle Obama, was putting pressure on Twitter to ban President Trump. So they were getting pressure not only internally from their own employees, but externally from government agencies and, uh, you know, political leaders, both past and present, were calling on Twitter to ban President Trump. And it's important wow. to note here that Twitter at this time, oh, here, yeah, this was a note that I just read. Uh, at the time... Twitter was almost entirely a liberal run organization. Again, anywhere between 96 to 99% of their political donations were to Democrats. So there was no sort of, you know, even split among conservatives. Yeah. I mean, this was a completely liberal run organization. And um, it goes on in here in part four to talk about Yoel Roth again, again, one of the central figures, you'll see his name in all of the releases. Yoel Roth is repeatedly brought up. He's the central figure, as far as I can tell, in sort of this uh, free speech censoring, and then specifically when it comes to Donald Trump. But so Yoel Roth, again, he's the same guy that met weekly with government agencies. Um, he mentioned in one of his tweets that's listed in here that his his goal and one of the reasons he's no longer in academia is because his goal was to change the world. He wanted to bring about change in the world. 
And I guess you could say his his main way of doing that was by silencing speech he thought was bad for the world. So he was the the one who got to decide what gets said and what doesn't get said. Hmm. And that's how he was going to change the world. And uh, it also seems to show in part four that Jack Dorsey had been receiving pressure again internally from employees and they were really looking to have him institute permanent bans. So I don't know if that was always something that Twitter did or it made it sound like kind of beforehand they would do, you know, they might delete a tweet and then maybe they'd give you a 12-hour ban or a one-week ban and then you'd be back and it could kind of continue on. Well, they were kind of pushing Jack Dorsey, we need to institute permanent bans. And mm. it does show in part four that Jack eventually caved to that demand he did push back a little bit but again he ultimately caved and it's his company he ran it so he should be held liable for that he succumbed to the pressure that was being put on him and one of the interesting things they show in here if i can find it i'll try to put it on the screen um let me see Part four, yeah, this right here. If you're watching YouTube or Rumble, you'll see it. But, and uh, forgive me, there is, well, I'll try to, well, there's some curse language on here. I'll try to have it f blurred out. But if I forget, please have mercy on me. Uh, but it says, you know, this tweet that they posted of Donald Trump. So one of the exchanges was between the Twitter employees. And he indicates here that a screenshot of Trump's tweet <laughs> should earn a strike for the account that posted it. Hmm. So he's telling this other Twitter employee, hey, this guy who posted a tweet from Trump should earn him a strike. Well, the guy he's messaging responds, they're criticizing Trump. So I'm a bit hesitant with applying a strike to this hmm. user. So oh the gosh. point is, he's saying, I get what you're saying here. But the tweet he's quoting is negative against Trump. Right. So I'm going to let it ride. Yeah. So Trump's banned. We can't allow any of his tweets on Twitter. But if they're criticizing him, eh, we'll let it ride. But we can play on that side and pretend just to get it out there. Tend yeah. to criticize. People know you're really just. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you can see. I mean, they're definitely, they've picked a side. Trump's you bad. You can tell. Yeah. You were not going to allow it. If you want to criticize him, we'll allow it. And again, wow. we're talking about a lead up to a presidential election on one yeah. of the main right. places that people go to find news in the world, or at least in America, is Twitter. Mm -hmm. And they also here in part four discuss a permanent ban on Representative Matt Gates, which is interesting. That's our representative down here in Florida, Matt Gates. And they describe in here that this is kind of a test case for banning Trump. So they want to run this test case on a congressman, ban him and kind of see how it does, see how people tolerate banning a representative before they go full bore in banning a president. Um, and they even mentioned this kind of goes back into one of uh, Barry Weiss's uh, releases in part two. They even mentioned that this ban wouldn't fit anywhere, kind of according to their policies, but they're still working on it. Is kind of what they say, like, we can't find a reason necessarily to ban Matt Gates, But we're just kind of going to figure out a way to ban him anyways. That's what we're working on. So 
again, they're going to ban people even against their own policies is what yeah. they're talking about. It's just, what do you feel like? Do you not like the guy? Ban him. It's all opinion. Yeah. yeah. So that was largely part four of the Twitter files. And that brings us to the last one here. Twitter files part five. And this one was again released by Barry Weiss. And you can see up here, if you're on YouTube or Rumble, it says the removal of Trump from Twitter. That was going to be the big uh, takeaway from part five here. So this one kind of focuses on January 8th. And this is the day that Donald Trump was permanently banned from Twitter, January 8th. And part five here is going to highlight even more how the discussion around this ban would be seen. And one exchange that they had in here was interesting. It was a, uh, I'll pull it up on the screen here. It was a Chinese employee they mentioned who said, you know, because he mentions in here, maybe because I'm from China, so he's a Chinese employee, this guy seems to be recognizing the dangers of censorship being a Chinese man, um, but he was largely ignored, or they were, I don't know if it was a man, but they were largely ignored. And the reasons why he was ignored are a lot of the same talking points you would expect to hear from um, CNN, MSNBC, and all of these sorts of things when they're talking about banning Donald Trump. You know, they talk in here about, you know, he's unhinged ruler attempting to subvert the most powerful democracy in the world. So they're saying, yeah, we get why censorship might be bad. But it's interesting because they even make note in there that the government censoring people is bad, but we're censoring the government. So that's right. not bad. Well, it is bad when you realize that censorship is only one way, right? So we're only being censored from one government opinion. They're saying this side of the government opinion Donald Trump, conservative, whatever it is, you don't get to hear that side. But the liberal Joe Biden, that side of the government, we're going to have free flow of information. So we're not going to really allow the people to make an informed decision. We're just going right. to give them the information we want to give them. So That's, pretty dangerous. Yeah, it's easy to see who's for you, which side is for you, for your, your rights, your freedom, people right. who uphold. They don't want you to have full access to information again because this is kind of that they don't trust you to make the wise decision they would say you're not smart enough to make right. the wise it's decision. insulting really yeah and they're manipul manipulating you so you could see throughout part five that kind of a push was brewing inside of twitter um, from the employees that again trump needed to be banned this is something they were pushing for even to the point where they submitted a letter to jack dorsey and it was signed by 300 employees that they needed to find a way to ban Trump. And uh, this idea of perma-banning Trump was taken into consideration as it shows in part five. Um, but even the Twitter staff, as they were discussing this and looking into it, they came to the conclusion that Trump had not violated their policy. They had no reason that they could find per their policy to ban Donald Trump. So uh, throughout here, you can see repeatedly that Twitter staff was reviewing. I mean, they were reviewing endlessly all departments. <laughs> they were reviewing Donald Trump's tweets 
and they continued to determine that he hadn't violated the policy. So they couldn't find a reason to justify permanently banning him. And then the same Twitter employee, who's uh, they named as some somebody Navaroli, apparently she testified before Congress that she had been attempting to intervene because she thought people would die. So she's this lady. Sorry, I should have mentioned this. I'm kind of all over the place here. But this Navaroli lady is one of the people that's saying, hey, we've looked at the policy. Trump has done nothing to earn a permanent ban. So we can't ban him. But then she goes and testifies before Congress. And she says, I'm trying to intervene. I was trying because people would die if I didn't. So the point is, she obviously lied to Congress. <laughs> she was in fact doing the opposite. She was stopping people from permanently banning Trump, but then going on television before Congress and saying, well, no, I was doing what I could to ban him, but I was unable to. So proven to be a liar. Um, later through part five, they highlighted specific cases. This was interesting. You know, they talked about Trump had to be banned because he's so dangerous. He's inciting violence, all these sorts of things that they couldn't verify. So keep that in mind. They wanted to verify it, but they couldn't because the tweets weren't there to justify it. But they even highlight in part five specific um, tweets from the leaders of Iran, Malaysia, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. And these ones were directly calling for or claiming a right to have violence against other groups. And these people hmm. were not banned for these tweets. Mm -hmm. So here's one from the Ayatollah in Iran. He says, our stance against Israel is the same stance we have always taken. Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. <laughs> and it says up here, Twitter neither deleted the tweet nor banned the Ayatollah. So again, these Twitter employees are feverishly working to ban Donald Trump for a stance he hasn't taken. He hasn't incited violence against their policies. They can't justify it. But when real world leaders are literally saying we have a right and we're going to eradicate the Jews, they're like, yeah, what are we going to do? You know, leave it alone. Right. So obviously hypocritical. Um, and then it does go on in here also very detailed um, in the way that Twitter employees dismissed um, previous decisions on Trump's tweets. And instead, they decided that they would just change the meaning of the words to fit the narrative that they wanted so they could ban him. Um, they even went so far as to claim that Donald Trump and his tweets were comparable to the Christchurch shooter in what was that New Zealand and Hitler. So wow, no new tweets. They're really just showing these two tweets from Donald Trump and saying these tweets do not incite violence. We can't find that. They don't violate our policy. And they're saying we we can't ban him based on these. And it gets to the end of part five. And they're basically going, well, we're just going to change the meaning of what he said. And we'll just determine that what he said, in fact, means something that he didn't say. And we're going to ban him on that account. So that was kind of where part five left off. Again, highlighting this whole time that, hey, we have this policy that's kind of heavy handed, 
in one direction liberally. But even when things don't fall into the proper category, we're just going to ban them anyway. And, you know, we'll get together with government agencies, we'll ban who they don't want people to hear. Um, and it all kind of goes back to what Nikki said, you know, they're, they're the smart ones. They're the ones that get to decide what speech is, what speech gets to be heard and what doesn't. Because again, like Yoel Roth said, he wants to change the world. Yeah. That's his plan. The benevolent Twitter employees that are going to change the world. Yeah, it's, and none of this is surprising. It's like, like I said, you just know what's all going on, but it's, it's nice to have it out in the open and just kind of be like, told you so <laughs> to many people who believed everything. Right. It's again, you know, we've kind of hammered this drum for a long time. You can't trust the media. You can't trust the news media because the same people handling Twitter and their employees, they're the same ones handling CNN and their employees. They have their hand in everything. They're all the same people. It's the same sort of cabal, if you will. It's the same antichrist spirit. That's what it is. Spirit. And, you know, again, that's why the Twitter employees are going to talk almost identically to how you would expect. CNN anchors Mm -hmm. and these people to talk about Trump because it's the same information, the same handler. So um, it's important to realize that, you know, the information you see is curated for you to see it. Um, This is why we're slaves to the algorithm. You know, this is why we uh, humbly ask you to drop a like on the video, subscribe, leave us a nice comment, because we're all slaves to the algorithm, um, even us. So this, so recognizing it. Well, we recognize it. And uh, key. that's why you're better Don't off watching us on Rumble, because you're probably not going to find us on YouTube. Our videos get uh, they get. What is that term that Charlie Kirk got? It's the uh, decline amplifying or deny. Uh, amp- yeah, do not amplify or uh, trending blacklist search blacklist. Yeah. I don't know. But this is where we stand. So up till part five, this is where we stand. I'm assuming more will be released in the future. By the time you're watching this, they might have released part six. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, And I know that this was a lot, a lot of us reading and pointing out, uh, but I just wanted to cover it all. So in case you haven't been following it terribly closely, you just have a decent understanding of what's going on, because it really is maybe the biggest news story in the country right now and most of the major news organizations aren't talking about it at all because again they look terrible because they do exactly the same thing but yeah i'm sure they're all scared they know that we've they they got to know that we know that everybody's figured it out but they're still gonna play the game they're still gonna keep doing what they do oh right i mean they're too far gone to walk it back I mean, because for most of these people, it's a religion anyways. You know, they're fever, feverishly pursuing this, you know, even against their own interests, because it's, it's a religion for them. Secular humanism, this, you know, leftist, you know, utopia that they're trying to build is a religion for them. So mm-hmm. it's important for us to realize that. And then also, you know, when you're watching the news, you're reading stuff on social media, politicians i mean you gotta know you're being lied to i mean that's always got to be your assumption i'm being lied to 
let me go find out the truth. It is good to keep up on the news and not just ignore it all and stay in a bubble because then you could get you could get tricked into things like you can't yeah. stay ignorant, like watch the news and then just you can kind of figure out their plan through it. Yeah, I mean, that's why we do what we do as best we can. Obviously, we don't want to cover all the news and can't cover all the news. But there are things, you know, this is the world we live in. Your children are growing up in this world and your children probably like Twitter or at least want to be on Twitter. Yeah. You got to know how to either shield them from it or make them aware to it. So make them aware and, and, and just to warn people, like, don't believe you tell them this is what they're saying, but they're lying and you show them the truth yeah and you know for us really bringing this up to you guys it's not so much twitter you know you know they're liars you know that they're really batting for one team here but our point of bringing this uh, this up is because we've discussed this idea on our show before multiple times the digital church you know we've talked about stories like td jake's daughter who closed Mm -hmm. her mega church i think it was in colorado And she decided to go completely online. And we discussed recently a survey where post-COVID, most Americans think watching sermons online can be a suitable replacement for in-person church. And I think more than anything else, these Twitter file releases should show us that that's a very dangerous position for Christians to be in. Because when you're online in almost any format, you're playing in the devil's backyard. Yeah. Because, you know, Google by his rules. Yeah. You're, and these people, they don't they're not Christians. They don't believe in God. They're secular humanists or atheists. And when you see the way that they believe and the, the stuff they think, they probably think they are a form that to be worshipped. You know, they're the ones that are smart enough to determine how the world should be run. And, you know, Google is ran by these people and Google basically runs our Internet. They own YouTube. Um these same they're the same people that run Twitter or ran Twitter. They run Facebook. It's all the same type of people that run Google, YouTube, Facebook, all these platforms, the exact same kind of people as Twitter. Um, they're as far left as they come. They're egomaniacs. They believe that they understand best what mm-hmm. the world needs to hear, but also what the world doesn't need to hear. And, mm-hmm. you know, as the releases kind of show, even when you don't violate Twitter's policy, you can still get banned. <laughs> even if you do what they say, eh, they don't like your message, they'll just ban you anyways. And <clears throat> one of the main points that stuck out to me reading this that really made me, you know, concerned and why we discussed this digital church idea. Uh, it was in part four, um, where they said, Uh, one of the tweets that they had was Twitter's permanent ban on Trump was based in part how Trump's tweets were being received Mm. and interpreted. So they talked about, it's not what Donald Trump's tweeting. His tweets don't violate our policy, but it's how his tweets are received Mm. and how they're interpreted and think about what dangerous territory that puts us in. Consider if your church were to speak on the harms of transgenderism or homosexuality Mm -hmm. is a sin if that service or that preaching is received or interpreted as hate speech, your church could get permabanned. Well, guess what? It is hate speech to those who don't believe the gospel. It is. Right. So then you just get into the position of, 
okay, I'm TD Jake's daughter. My church only exists online and YouTube. So do I stand firm in preaching God's word? Am I a slave to God's word or am I a slave to the algorithm? Because if I stand for God's word, nobody sees me on the platform. So do I tailor my message to the algorithm so that people can see me? But now I'm giving them this soft serve, you know, gospel, because that's what it turns into, right? So now you're just, you're really just putting your church in these leftist anti-Christ people's hands and they can go, boy, that message, you know, if people hear that transgenderism is a sin, they might hurt themselves, ban them. Yeah, like, nope. you made or them just silence be them. depressed, right? You shamed them or whatever. Yeah, that goes along with our topic we're going to discuss. Yeah, I mean, really. in the podcast review, but, you know, all it takes is just kind of having the right people with the right connections to hear something that you don't like. And you can be shadow banned. You're banned and you don't even know you're banned. Right? How many people right. have that happened to you on know. Facebook where you're like, are you guys even seeing my posts, right? Like, I feel like I post things and nobody sees them yep. Yeah, because nobody sees them. <laughs> You're banned and you didn't know it, right? Or you could just be like President Trump and get outright banned. Um, and it's not difficult to foresee a situation where you preach something, you know, a topic or a sermon against the LGBTQ community. And then maybe the next day or something, God forbid, a Pulse nightclub shooting happens, well, they can just easily link your church as to something that would instigate something like that. It's hate speech. You drove people to violence. They now easily you're could. We can see what they get away with already. Like that is definitely something that can happen. Yeah, especially. And not... I mean, as we become more authoritarian in this country, I mean, if you're preaching a sermon on you need to stand up for God's rule you know, God's law, even against man's law. Well, communist countries hate that because they're the highest authority. Right. Now that's speech that's yeah. not allowed, right? So it's really dangerous. And, um, you know, you have to be thinking about that. And I just, you know, my big feeling here is that churches in this day and age, with as wicked and anti-Christ as our country's become, we should really be trying to refocus much more on the small, the local, and the in-person. You know, putting all your eggs in the basket of people and companies that hate you, they hate your beliefs, uh, that's a really dumb decision, in my yeah. opinion. You know, and in fact, the church has always been called to look differently, to live differently than the world. And this is a perfect area where we should be sort of settling into that look different uh, mentality ourselves. You know, we should be settling ourselves apart from the normal world. When they all rush to be online, we should be pulling back to be local and in person. You feel like they know, you know, especially these mega churches, they know what they're doing. And I feel like they're, they're not stupid. They, I think they're planning to go along with the algorithm. Oh, they most certainly so I'm are. I'm sure these mega churches have, you know, they have to have advisors behind that decision. I mean, it's the same thing with why are the only people that make it onto TV, these prosperity gospel preachers, these word, because it discredits the gospel. Yeah. So yeah, put all these guys on there that give this, you know, discrediting of the gospel and can make you look foolish, make Christianity look foolish. Yeah, give them a platform here. 
go spread that message, you know, around the world. So it's probably much the same, but you know, I think it's fine in today's world. Obviously, if you're listening to us on a podcast or watching us on Facebook or YouTube, I think it's fine. And you should try to use the platform to whatever advantage you can, but we can't rely on it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the danger. And that's what the trends are showing is people are starting to rely on it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that, uh, you know, in really every other era era of Christian history, (laughs) you know, pre-internet, really Christianity was increasing, right? For the first 1900 years, it's increasing and growing around the world. Since the internet's kind of become our all-consuming, you know, force in our lives, Christianity's kind of been on a decline. You know, and even in countries where Christianity yeah. thrives in persecution the best, it's the underground churches, it's the house churches in China and in the Middle East and stuff. It's Yeah, maybe more people are claiming Christianity, but those, like we've said before, with a biblical worldview, they're few that's declining. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe returning back to what worked for the first 1900 years isn't a bad idea. That's what I was talking about with Spencer today. I was like, like technology is not, uh, not always good for people. Like just because you improve in technology doesn't mean it's good for mankind or, you know, so church online, it might seem convenient, but it's not good for us. It's no, actually I think a negative a point where it becomes convenience, a you could say. And we're getting there in a lot of aspects i think um we're getting to the point of getting some negative returns on technology for sure and uh oh there's many when uh, ai comes around the corner be all negative so anyways do you have any last points on the twitter files before we roll into our podcast review no (laughs) all right so our podcast review for this week um again generation indoctrination Episode four. What a lie from the pit of hell. These folks that are telling these children, oh, it's not going to hurt you long term. Really? It stunts your growth. You're looking at cardiovascular disease, cerebral vascular disease, infertility. These kids are being sold a lie. And and I've heard the kids come back and tell this in, in committee meetings. State Representative Robin Lundstrom of Arkansas is among those on the front lines of the transgender debate. Her frustration and resoluteness is palpable. And it's understandable because at the core of the transgender debate today is an affirmation-only model that leaves no room for questions, inquiry, rational discussion, or debate. As we've explored thus far, the implications of this diabolical approach have impacted our schools, medical institutions, and families. In this episode of Generation Indoctrination, we'll explore the perils of affirmation-only approaches and how the cultural implications are playing out on the legal and legislative fronts. And it was called A Nightmare. And this episode, shorter than the other ones, I think it was only about 23 minutes, which was nice. But it focused largely on the legal aspect of fighting back against the trans movement. And only really though in regards to children right they're not trying to push back on adults doing whatever adults want to do that's your decision um and you know we would even hold that stance right but it's the adults now who regret it right and they make that point pretty clear in here that you know a lot of times 
it's if you can get adults to speak on this and they're actually being honest, they're like, boy, it is not what it was cracked up to be. And uh, but we would agree with that. Right. You know, if an adult wants to do what an adult wants to do, it's their body. We would certainly, you know, tell them it's wrong. We tell them it's a sin. We think it puts your soul at risk. But, you know, that's an adult decision. As far as children are concerned, though, it should be outlawed, in our opinion. So we're just going to go through a couple of points like normal that stick out to us and just kind of discuss what we thought about it. This isn't a review of the podcast. This is just a discussion starter of the podcast. Yes. So. Yeah, there's nothing to like. No, the podcast was great. We agree with pretty much all of it. So we're just using it as a discussion starter. But uh, early in the episode, uh, they brought back our favorite whistleblower (laughs) from last episode. I kind of uh, discredited Carla a little bit. I'm not a fan of the use a fake pseudonym, hide behind a fake name. In today's world, I think you should be bold. Uh, But they brought Carla back still under the pseudonym and darn it. She had some good points. I got to <laughs> give it to Carla. She brought up, brought up some stuff that I liked. And she discussed that this child trans craze, she said it's largely built around three constructs. And she said the first construct was, my personal happiness is key to individual flourishing. Yep. She said the second construct was, I am my personal feelings. And third, interfering with someone else's happiness is very bad. That's sort of the transgender affirming movement in a nutshell, um, according to Carla. So I do want to address just kind of all three of those points because I think they're interesting. And the first one is that this is in that first point here. My personal happiness is key to individual flourishing. That's an absolutely adolescent mindset. Yeah. Uh, We have to understand that, you know, my happiness is key to my flourishing. And this is, you know, I guess point number one, why children (laughs) should not be in charge of their own decisions, because they aren't smart enough to know when they're wrong. Yeah. When are when are children happy? They're angry when you take away their treat or you turn off their cartoon yeah, a like, kid thinks oh, they're happy no. when they never go to sleep. And you're like, no, you're a nightmare to deal so with. So if you see a kid crying in the store, you should shame the mom for not giving them what they wanted. <laughs> Give him that candy right now. Yeah, so, I mean, because it's adolescent, right? Because our happiness is almost always a detriment to our individual flourishing. You know, almost everything worth having in life requires foregoing momentary happiness, going to school, fitness, diets, self-control. Yeah, I don't have happiness when I'm trying to have self-control. Right, but that's a fruit of the spirit. (laughs) You know, so even issues regarding our faith require us to forgo momentary happiness. Um, And... You know, I think there is very few areas. You could probably make a case there are some areas where just doing what makes you feel happy is the right choice. Um, But very few, I would guess. And if this were the case, you know, just do what makes you happy because that's how you flourish. You know, we'd all just be sitting around in our underwear, our lounge clothes. We'd all be 80 to 100 pounds overweight. 
because we're just eating garbage, stuffing our faces with simple carbs, right? We'd be maybe doing drugs because mm. that makes you feel good. It makes you happy. Just be playing video games all day or watching Netflix till you died early. You're like, but I was happy. But what would you say if you were to like envision what you look like when you're flourishing? Like, what does that look like? That isn't what people think of what you just described. They're, when you say that, they're like, oh, that wouldn't be good. Those things make me happy. But if you picture the, that life, you're like, that doesn't look like flourishing. No, that's, that's, that's decaying. That's decaying, dying, yeah. You know, but... So in order to flourish, yeah, you have to go, I, I realize I'm not going to be happy this second. You know, I realize I'm not happy on that seventh mile of my run right now, you know, but when my heart's stronger, when mm -hmm. I'm not carrying around extra weight, when I like the way I look, those are all things that do make me happy. So I have to forgo the momentary happiness of just sitting on my butt to go for the long run so that I can be happier longer but it doesn't come till later you won't regret those things you'll regret yeah. doing the things that made you happy you know the immediate the instant gratification you always regret that i always regret if i give in to something i shouldn't eat in the moment i'm like i'll be so happy if i eat this you know while i'm eating this i'll be so happy immediately i'm like oh it's done i wish i didn't do that why did i do that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can even take this to the extremes of um, personal happiness being the key to your individual flourishing in an argument that's made for abortion. Mm. You know, I don't have time for this kid right now. I have goals. I'm going to for you know, I'm mm. going to be happy in myself right now by killing this child only to suffer the mental anguish later on or not even realize the fact that, no, you're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and raising children, you know, in the way they should go that love that's the greatest joy you mm -hmm. can have but you don't realize it in the moment and you're concerned with your momentary happiness so so no happiness is not even anywhere near the top of the list of things that are key to your flourishing in fact you could largely say momentary happiness is a detriment in so many <laughs> respects to your individual flourishing um, but to that second point there she said i am my personal feelings that's dangerous, super dangerous. And we did kind of touch on this point a little bit last week. You know, what I feel is more real than reality. That kind of idea, yeah. you know, a girl who has breasts and ovary her ovaries, she has a vagina, you know, but she feels like a boy. Well, you know, hey, President Biden, he says you're a boy, right? Because that's what you feel. Reality be darned. We obviously yeah. know this is insane. <laughs> Everyone knows that this is insane. And uh, what you feel should have very little bearing on what you do or even what you believe. Mm -hmm. um, because you should not uh, be overly concerned or wrapped up in your feelings, right? You should do and believe what's right, whether you feel it or not, should be the concern. I can yeah. feel whatever I want, but is it right? Is it real? Is it, you know, what's best for me? All these sorts of things should come into play far more than, is it what I feel? Again, go back yeah, to, dangerous. you know, just the simple analogy of, I don't know, I feel like eating this chocolate's going to make me 
happy. Well, you know you're lactose intolerant, so you know that it's not going to make you happy. You know, your stomach's going to be upset, right? Ah, but I right. feel it, you know. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel, right? That's a childish, that's an adolescent mindset. So again, children, they're not smart enough to come to this rationale on their own. Yeah, like what age do you start letting children uh, determine what's true based on how they feel? What, what would Biden say? What age? Well, they would say 26, right? Isn't that when you're allowed to get off your parents' insurance? So <laughs> legally, you're a child until you're 26 now. You're on your parents' insurance. So maybe when you're 26, you can make this decision on your own, which I'm not terribly opposed to. I've said this before. I don't trust 18-year-olds. Don't come around telling me you're an adult at 18, 19 years old. Come talk to me when you're 30. And the older I get, the higher that age goes. Especially in our society. When I hit 40, yeah. I don't want to hear from you till you're 35. Like, <laughs> just save it, youngin, you know. I don't know. By the time <laughs> I'm 90, if you're not 75, I'm not going to want to hear from you. So I'm just kidding. But yeah, so that's a childish mindset, right? Um, my feelings are more so real than reality. These are things they're teaching kids in in school with these gender affirming counselors and stuff that they're and then they're not letting the parents know because it's it's private. They're not letting the parents know what's going on. Right. And again, this kind of falls back into the liberal super egotistical I know better than you know yeah. mindset of you know you don't understand your own child as much as I do even though I'm only with them for like an hour a day five days well, a week for yeah a year, I mean the counselor probably does see your kids more hours in a day with most just kids are at school you know well again so they might come to trust now we're the people at talking school about more. bigger issues here which is our point that the real revolution is get your kids out of school, homeschool your children, get to know them. Then you can be a parent that actually makes rational decisions for your child, even against what they feel or what yeah. makes them momentarily well, the happy because is, you know it's better for them. The truth is, if your kids are at school all day, they spend more time with their teachers than they do with you. Maybe the teachers do know them better than you do. I mean, if you... Depending on how it is at home, what, what's going on at home? Do they just come home and do their homework and, or go hang out with their friends? Like how much time do you really spend with your kids once they get home from school? Right. I mean, now we're talking about, yeah, big issues. I mean, we're hope. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother set of parenting topics of getting to know your kids and actually raising them yourself uh, rather than going to an office so that you can pay somebody else's wife to raise your kids. That's a whole nother set of issues. <laughs> um, but the last point that she makes here is interfering with someone's happiness is very bad. That's her third construct. And to a certain degree, you could say this is true, right? You know, if somebody's trying to come and interfere with me and Nikki's marriage, well, I love Nikki. So get out of our like, don't come and ruin a good thing. We're happy, right? So that would be somewhere where that would be true. Yeah. You know, I don't need you to try and cause an, a, a divorce and a happy marriage. That would be nonsense, right? If you enjoy your job, 
even if you don't make that much money, I don't need to come and tell you to go find a new job. Well, if it makes you happy, then do it. Far be it from me to tell you to leave something you enjoy doing. So at some level, that's true. Interfering with someone's happiness is very bad. But it stops um, at the level that you think, or if what you think brings you happiness is actually destructive to you, then that idea has to stop. You know, like, if Nikki was smoking two packs of Marlboro Reds a day, and it made her happy. I don't smoke at all, just for no, the record. not anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've never she smoked. She smoked unfiltered camels. No, I'm just kidding. She oh. didn't do that. <laughs> I don't smoke. But, you know, if she was smoking two packs of Marlboro Reds a day, and it made her happy, it's still worth me intervening. Her happiness is not worth her dying early from lung cancer. But me dying early would interfere with your happiness. What about your happiness? Who knows? When you live in crazy world? If happiness and emotion is above truth, like how many dumb things can people get away with on account of their happiness and others are interfering? Like they just take what they want, just steal what they wanted. That, that would make me happy. And I thought about I'm this too when poor. I was watching. I'm going to steal that. I mean, that's what people do today. It was something, I can't remember what, I saw it on the news, but it was something about, you know, some group of girls or whatever that was, you know, they were showing themselves scantily clad or whatever and some kind of, I don't know what they were wearing. But it just made me stop and think like, man, we live in this era where, you know, we're kind of still post me too but like it's still kind of the me too era where you know people are objectifying women and that's not okay but then women are naked all the time because it's okay and you're like how do we live in this world <laughs> how is this a world that we live in where like you're just naked all the time but if i notice it and like it well now i'm sexually assaulting you or harassing you of some sort that's what but, people think. You know, if I, it's, boy, I mean, I don't know. It's very twisted. Have, have mercy on our kids growing up in this world. But so at some level, intervening in a person's happiness is, they may think it's bad, but it's in fact a very good thing to do. Um, you know, again, it may be something you love to go out and get drunk every night. Well, that's a sin that but could this, lead you to hell. I should interfere to stop you if I care about you and I love you. But this whole thing goes against what Christ came and did for us to give us power to overcome the flesh, to die to the flesh. Right. Well, everything that they stand for is anti-Christ. Die that's to yourself. Die to your happiness. About. He yeah. intervened in our life to stop us from going to hell, even though sin made us happy. Um, it's completely antichrist, really. It's completely antichrist. And anybody that stands for it, they stand for an antichrist idea, even if they try to claim a Christian perspective on it. You mm -mm. can't, you know, you can't be. Like, show me scripture that supports this. Just one. Uh, you won't find it. They will say, love your neighbor out of okay, context. Okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Out of yeah. love your neighbor's child as he's cutting his genitals off. You're loving your neighbor. 16 yeah. years old, has no idea what he's doing or the ramifications, but doggone it, just love him and affirm him through probably it all. Right? Have GoFundMe's um, for it. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, they'll start a GoFundMe page. Um, so the last thing that I want to bring up on this topic of what Carla discussed, she made the point that. 
This is a continuous push to affirm feelings, no matter what they are. And I certainly agree. And I believe that this is not accidental. This isn't a mistake. I believe that whatever you want to call the powers that be, uh, they want us to be completely emotionally driven. They're working tirelessly. People at Twitter, all these sorts of places, they're working tirelessly to have us be completely emotionally driven because Mm -hmm. emotions are very easy to manipulate, as we've seen in our world. And when you're people, governments, all these sorts of things that are trying to propagandize your own people, propaganda works on emotion. It does not work very well on facts. So you need to have people in an emotional state, an emotional mindset. Yes. And we've just seen this with COVID. Like we have common sense to say there's no long-term testing with these vaccines. So it's, it's risky. Don't, don't take it. And we see that people are dying from getting sick on the ventilators, but not from the actual COVID. So fear and the manipulation is what drove people to get vaccinated. Mostly fear, though, from something that isn't actually a pandemic itself. The vaccine is the pandemic. COVID was the biggest emotional controlling event that we've ever seen. And we can't sit by now and say nothing to protect all these kids and the parents being emotionally manipulated to pay for these surgeries based on fear of their child committing suicide if they aren't happy. So just these two events alone point to diminishing the population. And we've said that before, both the vaccine and the hormone blockers, they do cause infertility and miscarriages. They've skyrocketed since the vaccine has come out. It's really manipulation so that you have no one to blame but yourself because you chose, you made the decision. And this is a subtle form of early 20th century German governance. Everyone thinks they're in control, making themselves safe and happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely emotionally driven. Yeah. It's on purpose. COVID was a great, um, a great example of that. Maybe the best we'll ever see in our lifetime. I mean, just thinking back to I mean, they had late night skits on the late night talk shows and bands that would sing about it. And I mean, just the craziest things, uh, completely emotionally driven so that they could bend you and shape you to whatever they wanted you to do. And again, we're seeing it here with the gender affirmation stuff. Um, I think it's completely the same thing. They want you to be kind of in that emotional fear or happiness state. They don't want Mm -hmm. you focused on facts and logic. You know, hey, you're a 29-year-old world-class athlete, millionaire with the best medical staff in the world, but COVID's going to come get you. Like, (laughs) no, it's not. Nothing that you can show me stat-wise would tell me I need to take a vaccine for that. Not to mention I've had it, right? Uh, But no, fear, emotion, right? Then we can steer you wherever we want. So, yep. Uh, complete emotionally driven. And I do believe that that's on purpose. So, you know, but I guess the point on that, Christians aren't, um, we're not 
delivered from being emotional. We're just as easily riled up as other people. Yeah. So you got to understand yeah. when your emotions are being stirred and you have to work because unfortunately they're, you know, as we've seen from Twitter, they're not going to just give you the facts. They're going to give you the emotion mostly and the narrative. So you have to go out and actually do it yourself. And all of your research, everything that you do should start in one place and that's scripture. <laughs> and yes. that's why having a biblical worldview is so important. So when they bring up things like climate change, for example, you don't have to be worked into a tizzy about climate change. You can go, well, I've read the end of the book. Yeah. CO2 doesn't get us. <laughs> that's not how it ends, right? That's not the way the book ends. So I don't have to be worked into a tizzy. So then you can rationally go, well, what's something we can do to make life a little bit better here? You know, sure, I'll throw some solar panels on my roof. Sounds like a great idea. It might lower my energy bill. Sure. But you don't have to go off the cliff don't with everybody Tesla, else, though. right? You know, so <laughs> it's just crazy talk. Look for facts and logic, start in scripture and then end in scripture. And you'll probably be in a sound and rational place when it's all said and done. So the last big point in this episode, because again, it was short that jumped out to me. And I just wanted to highlight this because it is a pet peeve of mine. Um, President Biden, they mentioned a quote that President Biden said about the transgenderism thing. And he mentioned, he said, one of the most powerful things you can do as a parent is to affirm your child's identity for the sake of their, their health and safety. And that's <laughs> President Biden Gosh. giving us parenting advice. For the sake of their health and safety. And it's worth noting, this is a man who has raised Hunter Biden, a drug addicted pervert appears to be super corrupt possibly treasonous child that he's raised and president biden may be a lot of things but he is not a person to be giving out parenting advice he just isn't um he's as equipped to give out parenting advice as he is to give out spiritual advice which is not at all so it just, I'm not a big, a big fan. Uh, maybe you guys can tell me I'm wrong in the comments, but I am not a fan of taking advice from people that don't actually live out the advice they're trying to give. You know, President Biden, it sounded like he had, a, had one good son, Bo Biden. He's dead, unfortunately, now. But Hunter Biden, not the kind of kid to be giving other people parenting advice. If that's you're 50% of your track record, not great. Um, you know, it'd be like having a really overweight dietitian giving you eating advice. I'm just not going to take it. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to, you know, if you've been divorced four times, I'm not going to take marriage advice from you. I'm just not, you know, and you should have a little bit of humility to say, <laughs> maybe I'm not the one to give marriage advice, you know, I'm not the one to tell you in the Air Force how to climb the ladder of promotion success. <laughs> not the dude to do it. I don't care about it. Not great at it. So <laughs> I'd be the wrong one to give you advice. You know, likewise, President Biden giving us parenting advice. He is the wrong one. If you've raised a perverted drug addict, I don't want to take parenting advice from you. So simply being a president doesn't mean that you have anything worthwhile to say in the parenting department. Yeah. And that just gets, 
and you know, it's just, we're talking a lot about social media. That's a, I feel like a very social media driven thing that I need to give advice or tell people what I think on every aspect under the sun. No, you don't talk about the stuff you're good about. President Biden's a president. Talk about foreign policy. Talk about anything political, right? But you're not a great parent from the track record. So let's just leave that alone. I'm not going to tell you how to get promoted in the military. You don't tell me how to raise kids. And maybe I won't be able to give parenting advice someday. Lord only knows my kids seem to be on the right track currently. Um, but we'll see how it goes. You know, I just that is a big pet peeve of mine. So I don't know if you have any points on President Biden's parenting advice. Don't take it. I don't know. I'm just shaking my head. And I'm not trying to be overly harsh to him. And it may, and I'm sure it sounds like I shouldn't be laughing because it is we, laughable. Well, we want to pray for Hunter Biden. I should say, I pray that he would come to a saving faith. Well, it's just yes. this mindset of people. And President Biden is serving the role of who we're pointing out right now. This mindset of, irregardless of my track record in an area, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I'm going to assume that you want to hear it and that you should take the advice. It's just silly. You know, I'm not a great marathon runner. I'm not going to give you marathon running advice. What I would yeah. do is go, hey, I know this guy. He's a really smart marathon runner. You should either go talk to him or I can ask him for you. Like, but I'm not the guy to tell you. Likewise, if you if you don't have a great track record in parenting, you should humbly realize that and say, you know, maybe I'm not the one that to tell you, you what's the best thing to do You can say what you did wrong kid. and say, I messed up and don't do this. That's the advice you can That's give. That's good advice. Hey, here's the things I did that did not turn out well. Or if maybe you've got six kids and one of them turns into Hunter Biden. Okay, well, you've got a good track record. You've got five Charles Spurgeons and one Hunter Biden. You got a pretty good track record, you know, but when you're batting 50%, I don't know, that's rough. So um, maybe we're completely off base there. If so, forgive us. But the last point that I want to bring up, uh, they interviewed extensively this lady, can't remember her name. January. No, no, not her. She was, this was the Arkansas representative. There was a congresswoman from Arkansas who had passed uh, a law kind of banning gender affirmation care on children. And she was interviewed extensively. And one of the questions that she asked right at the end of the interview that I thought was really good and something for us to consider, she said, what will these children say when they're older? These kids that are having this gender transition surgery when they're younger, they're being put on these puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and this sort of stuff. And she does mention in here how she's interviewed a lot of older um, folks that have been down this transgendered path for a while. And they tell her about the regrets and the, the difficulties and all the, that sort of stuff. And she says, um, what will these children say when they're older? She says they will wonder where the adults were. Yep. And I think, boy, that's such a good yep. question, something that we should be considering. And I think it's a question that sadly, without spiritual revival, 
I don't mm-hmm. think they're likely to get an answer that they even want to get if they get one. Well, that's why they're hiding it from the parents and pitting the children against the parents. That's why they don't want the parents to know. Where were the parents? Where were you? We're hiding it from us. The teachers, the counselors are hiding it. Right. Partly. But partly, there are for sure. Partly. But I mean, be... sadly, I mean, without spiritual revival, even if they get the parents, right? I mean... We're, we talked about this last week or whatever, maybe two weeks ago. There's nothing that these young kids could say harshly about their previous generations, the boomers, the Gen Xers and us millennials that we don't deserve. Yeah. I mean, so what are yeah. they going to say? We're the most selfish, self-centered generations in human yeah. history. You know, we're the generations generation. that would kill our own children yep. to ensure our personal enjoyment isn't hindered. Like, so what are they going to say it's about like us? Your, it is. Even the parents are putting their happiness, like the happiness of their children is their happiness. You right. I mean, I mean, even with the transgender stuff, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to let my kid go this road of transgenderism, gender reassignment surgery, all this sort of stuff. And I'm going to foster it because it makes me feel good. I mean, we see these parents that take these kids to, Young kids to these drag shows. Yeah. How could a kid That's... possibly care or know about that? But it makes yeah. the parent feel good. So I'm going to drag my kid into a life of sexual immorality because it makes me feel good. And it makes my friends think I'm they super progressive. praise from those same like-minded people. Yeah. So they'll be asking, where were the adults? You probably don't want to ask that question. Um, but it is interesting to think on that. When they're older, what will they be saying? You know, because in our society today, it's odd that we are consistently asking these questions about issues like slavery. We're constantly looking back um, at what people did then, what they could have done, how could they have done what they did to people? You know, how could they look at people that way? All that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff that we're constantly asking about slavery you know, how did they not see the humanity in these African-Americans? All the while, we'll murder our own children um, because we don't want to recognize their humanity or even worse, because we just care more about our lives than theirs. Same thing is with slavery. You know, I'll have this slave work these fields in brutal conditions, beat all these sorts of things. But these people, my life is good. These and I don't people that are it. pro-choice would argue it would have been better for the slaves to have been aborted. That's that would be their right, and they're of their course reasoning. insane. Yeah, because to live is always better than to be dead and aborted. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh gosh, you know. So, but they're asking these questions. How did you not see their humanity? How did you not feel for them? How were you so cold and callous? And but again, we'll let our children mutilate themselves because we want to feel progressive or whatever or even if you want to go to the worst part of that you know i'm terrified to tell my kid no i'm terrified to be the adult in the room and just tell my kid i don't really care what you think makes you happy because i think what makes you happy is stupid and i'm not going to put up with it i think for the sake of peace people give in to all sorts of things that they don't agree with yeah so adults I don't know where they are, but they need to return (laughs) and they need to be adults. There's not many adults. There's people who are older, but there are no adults. There's no mature thinking people. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like 
There's no wise people. <laughs> no, I mean, well, and that's not true. There certainly are. There are wise well, yes. people and we know them, but you know, and again, in this world that we're in, that's so wicked, they're not going to have their voices amplified. You know, oh, yeah. They're going to amplify yeah. the ones that drive a wedge. Right. And even if it's on the conservative, the Christian side, it's going to be the, the wedge drivers. It's not going to be the rational yeah. adult in the room. Kind I of guess thing. with so, social media, you're going to hear the unwise, the foolish voice, and it's going to seem like they're more in number because they silence the ones who speak the truth. Yeah. So it was just a good question. Good thing for us to ponder. And it's bizarre that we ponder it in one respect as regard to the slavery and segregation and all these sorts of things. But then on the other side, we just sort of dismiss it entirely. It's very, I guess, 2022, I guess, if you want to <laughs> classify it that way. So do you have any last thoughts on our podcast review before we end with our assurances of salvation? Oh, we can move on. All right. Again, we'll have that stuff linked in the show notes. You guys can go find it. And um, I def definitely think the podcast is worth giving a listen to. So mm -hmm. our assurance of salvation for this week is uh, point number six. Again, we've gone through the previous five. You can find them. But oh, you can also go to our website as well, religionlesschristianitypodcast.com. We have them all up there. You can go look and get a quick glimpse at them. But do you want to read, honey, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15? Sorry, I scrolled down too far. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Yep, do not love the things in the world. So, you know, our hearts, our minds, our affections... And our longings should be of godly things. They should be of heavenly yeah. things. And this should be evident in how we live. You know, being in the world and of the world speaks to giving into or really loving the lust of the flesh and the love for things that are perishing. They're things that are not of eternal value. And um, John chapter 17, verse 14 through 16 says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It says they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, that was Jesus. That was Praying Jesus. To the Father. Yeah, about us. Mm -hmm. um, not that we'd be taken out of the world, right? So this is where we kind of get that idea to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, we should look different. We should live different. And it should be evident. Um, you know, I, you think of Daniel in the book of Daniel and uh, chapter one, verse, you can go eight through 16. Um, it's interesting. I forgot that they even had their original names that were Daniel. It was Hananiah, Michelle, I think, Michelle and Azura. I think is how you say it, but their names were changed. So you may know them better as Daniel or Balthazar, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but, you know, when they were in Babylon, they asked to maintain their old dietary laws, even while they were in exile, as sort of a way to look different than the rest of the Babylonians, and because it brought glory to God. So I think we should strive, and we should be proud 
um, not prideful, of course, but should be proud to stand and look different than this lost and dying world. We should want something different than the lost and dying world wants because it's a testimony of the God we serve at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. And we can't love even like the good things in the world or long for them more than we long for Jesus. So even blessings can become idols when we want, when we want Christ to delay his coming because we want to experience things in life first, um, that is loving the world. And even things like getting married and having a family, like those good things that we desire and we say, well, I hope Jesus doesn't return before I get to experience those things. And we can't compare any experience on earth to our experience in heaven with Christ. And all these, even all these good things, they, they pale in comparison to him. Besides, we aren't even going to be married in heaven anyway. So, <laughs> well, though, and I think that is a point that Christians and, you know, I don't know how often it's truthfully said anymore, you know, that we want Christ to come back. Yeah. You know, I don't know how. I mean, we struggle with it, right? We spend so much of our time focused on, you know, what's next or, you know, all these different things. And it's like, you almost hesitate that you want Christ to come back. Cause like, well, I have these other plans first when you should be saying all that's garbage. None of it matters. Come back now. You only you know? want him to like, he waits. Well, until, you know, all who are going to be saved are saved. Cause we're praying for people to turn to Jesus. And that would be the only thing be like, you know, you'd want him to put off, but, but you know, but even that we should go, the Lord knows just come now, come when you're ready, Lord, (sighs) hopefully you save him, but come now, you know, I want to be out of here. And, you know, we should. And, you know, I think you asked me earlier, like, what is loving the world? And it made me think of, you know, the two thieves, you know, on the cross, the one who, who realized Christ was Messiah and just wanted to be in eternity with him mm. in paradise. But the other one, he loved the world. Just get me down from here. You know, he, he was, mm. couldn't see beyond this world. And I think that's kind of loving the world. And, you know, I just want to make the best of this, you know, what we have here. And it's so short-sighted. The immediate happiness. It's, <laughs> you can see it everywhere. You can. And, yeah. you know, we as Christians should not be um, living in that mode. I mean, it's hard and it doesn't mean you shouldn't plan and you shouldn't, you know, me and Nikki still got our plan to go to Michigan, right? We've not. Yeah. If the Lord wills. Yeah. Everything we plan, if the Lord wills. Yeah. That's like an old timey saying that doesn't, you know, if the Lord wills, we will, you know, we'll head up there. But now you're just like, yep, I'll be there at this time. Cause my GPS says so instead of being like, Unless the Lord comes soon, then we'll see you in heaven. So love Christ, not the things in the world. Um, And again, this is a assurance of your salvation. So if you find yourself not longing for Christ coming, not longing for heavenly things, not longing for, um, you know, harmony with your brothers and sisters, not loving the body, not all these sorts of things. These are the things that should set off alarm bells in you that, you know, I 
I never really think about wanting to be in heaven with Christ. I only think about what's tomorrow, what's next, or, you know, this world. Well, it should alarm you and it should cause you to maybe go down to your knees and repent and, you know, pray that the Holy Spirit would, you know, put that desire in you to long for things beyond this life. You know, because that's why we're going through the assurances of salvation, so we can judge ourselves, not so we can look at everyone else and determine if they're saved or not. This is for you to figure out if the Holy Spirit actually dwells in you, then the Holy Spirit should want to be in heaven where he belongs, right? (laughs) Um, So you should also long to be there as well. So search your own heart. Um, Don't be afraid to search it. You know, we were telling our kids at dinner, you've got to open scripture you've got to ponder the eternal things, even when it's scary and it doesn't make sense. And it's hard to understand. You have, you have to do some soul searching, the hard soul searching to really have a solid faith. You know, you can't have a surface level faith. You got to have a solid faith that's grounded and deep. And that's only going to come from pondering the deep things, searching it in scripture and reaching out to God in prayer. That's the way you're going to get there. So we've been running long here, I think. Um, but is there any last thoughts that you have on any of the topics we discussed? Oh, yeah, I was going to say with the the transgender praise, I can't remember who said it, but just why the push, why the rush for kids to get the surgery? Like, why not discuss or to even go through with it if it's why the immediate <laughs> um, decision? Like, it could just be something that's brought up, hopefully, even though, you know, they're not allowed to. That's not affirming. It's like, well, could you affirm, but say, but wait, <laughs> the rush with it. Right. And again, that goes back to parenting. Um, loving your kid enough to tell them no, you know, to make a tough decision. And also, you know, understanding that they're children, right? And again, you can't, if an adult wants to do something, an adult wants to do it. But for a kid, you know, just trying to implore with them that you can't possibly at 13 understand what you're going to want at 33 can't possibly understand that. So if you're going to make a life altering body altering, uh, lifetime altering decision, you're, you can't possibly make that now. And it's wrong for me as a parent to necessarily decide that either. And I mean, but ultimately I guess without God, without a biblical worldview and a solid foundation, I don't know what hope you have. So um, you need to get yourself right with Christ and be in the word so you can actually understand what the truth is that you're supposed to stand on. Yeah, because it's really all like all the effort to save these kids, the the trauma, the regret. But if they don't have Christ, they're going to be going through worse in eternity. It's like they need they need the gospel. It's like. You know, it's all right. And that's why we want to stand against it. And I don't want to run on too long with this. But, you know, the problem with um, 
you know, just the affirmation when you start attaching pride to it and, you know, you're making these people superheroes and it's their identity. And, you know, even to the point where you're carving your own body up to fit this boy, you're just adding layers and layers of issues that they're going to have to fight through to think they can come to Christ and lay all of that aside. You're just making it so much harder. You know, it is a good, like, springboard topic into because it's about identity and then we talk about our identity in christ you know so our identity our happiness our joy is in christ it's not in anything in us so i think get a chance to for talk with kids who are you know even if they're not deciding for themselves but if they know people and share the gospel with these kids i mean yeah and then let them know that opportunity for that conversation with our identity being in christ because they know they find their identity in their gender yeah it is a good springboard so that is all we got we'll be back with our uh, well i guess for our sermon recommendation it's of course going to be gender or Generation Indoctrination, Episode 4. Um, you guys can find that in the show notes. I recommend you go give it a listen. And um, we'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals. We're still going through Bonhoeffer. His God is in the Manger Advent. They're wonderful devotionals. You know, we just kind of use those as well as a springboard for discussion. And I think it's been really good. We will also have a episode on Christmas Eve. December 24th. It's not going to be a full-on episode like this. I think we're just going to talk Christmas specifically. Um, So please make sure you come and check that out. That is all we got. See you guys Christmas Eve and then back again the following Saturday with a full-on episode. All right. God bless. For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association.